WMCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Is there really a hell? Is it an actual place, or is it a state of being? <clears throat> Can someone who has died prove to you that they're really still alive? Why are there so many questions on this script? Anyway, <laughs> ben, not enough, take it away. There aren't enough questions on this script. That's right. Hello there, and welcome to the 444th edition. There are too many fours in that uh, number of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, I'm Ben, and those jarring and multiple questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening, we welcome someone who has never been on the show before to discuss a topic many people either laugh at or don't like to discuss at all. Hell. Our guest is Stuart Wilde, a widely acclaimed metaphysical writer and teacher. Over the last 12 years, he says he has had over 100,000 visions that have taught him a vast body of information not available elsewhere, quote-unquote. Many New Age New Thought writers and teachers have studied with, with Stuart. He has written 20 books on all sorts of paranormal and self-help subjects. I've only written seven. That makes me sick. And they have been translated into 15 languages. Relevant to our discussion this evening, Stewart in 2001 announced discovery of the morph phenomenon, quote, a process by which physical reality goes transparent and humans dematerialize, unquote. I can think of a number of politicians I'd like to see. Anyway, our subject tonight is hell, and the relevant book is Grace, Gaia, and the End of Days. Stuart's website is www.stuartwild.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T-W-I-L-D-E.com. Stuart Wild, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. And I'll just point out to the audience that Stuart is uh, soldiering on tonight. He's in Wales, which is, of course, five hours ahead of us, so it's midnight there, and uh, thanks again for that. Alrighty, so let us uh, start this off with a rather simple question, well, a rather simple statement and with a question attached to it. So, so Stuart, uh, Grace, Gaia, and the End of Days is a pretty heavy book title. Uh, can you explain it to us? Well, it's to do with like the whole, um, what I call the Reformation, you know, whereby the world is eventually restored. You know, Gaia is the spirit of nature. And you could see 101 different sort of evolutionary themes around the world that are dying out. And so at some point, there has to be some kind of renewal or some sort of cataclysmic renewal. And so the book talks a lot about that. It talks about absolution for one's sins. It talks about nature and the planet and um, pollution and so on and so forth, because the world can't carry on exactly like it is now forever and ever there has to be something that intervenes all right so what is wait were you, were you gonna say dad oh no i was just uh, he's already uh, piquing my interest here uh getting a good start I, I was just before ben asks his next next question what you say Stuart, is very theological and my background is theology philosophy and psychology and i just i can't help but be struck by by the 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 pattern that you have just described it's very very much in line with many traditions, what, what they believe as far as the renewal is concerned. I, I, I rather like that. So I'm sorry, Ben. Go ahead. It's not okay. All right, so what is <laughs> metaphysics? Well, meta means close, and physics is physics. So it means close to physics. And generally speaking, metaphysics is the study of the sort of paranormal. And um, 
it's the belief that there are other dimensions and that those dimensions have beings and that there are other worlds. Um, in theory, you can't really prove metaphysics because it's very subjective, but in fact, if enough people describe the same experience, then uh, one understands it to be real because of the collective understanding. So gradually over the years, we've built up a very vast knowledge of the inner worlds and the directions and where they are and what they're like. And it's been confirmed by so many people. Like you mentioned earlier on, the morph. Well, I was in my house in Australia in 2001, and I was with a group of people. We were, they were at a meditation weekend, and they started getting all these colored patterns over their skin in broad daylight, like circles and triangles and swirls and so forth. And as they began to have all these very beautiful geometries on their skin, they began to dematerialize. And that's what I call the morph. It makes the walls go soapy looking. It makes the floors go like not very solid. And we found we could put our finger inside each other's forehead. And we played for four hours. <laughs> yeah, we were played for four hours watching these patterns on our skin and just playing around without putting our fingers in each other's heads and so forth. And the morph has a way of showing us that reality is solid and not solid at the same time. And that was the first time that we partially saw people disappear. And then in 2005 in Brazil, I saw a man disappear completely and he was kneeling in front of a fire and he was smoking a cigarette, a sort of campfire. And he started to blip in and out, and I was watching him from behind him. And then he stood up, and he completely disappeared. But what was fascinating was that his cigarette didn't dematerialize. And he walked around the fire, and you could watch him walking by watching the cigarette moving. And when he was on the other fire, on the other side of the fire for quite some time, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and I could see, that when I could see the cigarette come off and he took a puff of it and it would go down again and it would rise up again and he'd take a puff of it. But he was completely invisible. You just couldn't see him. And after about 25 minutes, he came back again. So metaphysics is a study of what one could loosely say is a parallel universe, a, a, a nearby universe. Well, that's what, that's what we, we deal with on the show. For, 42 years of paranormal research, that's precisely the conclusion I've come to. But uh, it sounds like you've given us fodder for an, a dear, another show, but uh, <laughs> just to continue. Well, now let's get back to the topic at hand here. So uh, what, what is hell? Well, I mean, hell is what we describe as the sort of negative dark worlds. Um, the, 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 the parallel universe is facing us. It's a mirror world. So when you put your arm out, stretched out in front of you, the mirror world starts halfway between your elbow and your wrist. So the parallel universe is essentially 18 inches from your nose, and you can put your arms out and actually have them in heaven or in hell. And um, those worlds are inside this parallel universe, and they, they're, they're, they're sort of on vectors, and a vector is a direction. So let's say, for example, north is a vector, and north-northeast is a vector. And... Um, there are hell worlds in various parts of uh, the vectors around a compass. So, for example, if you're facing north and you put your left hand on your hip and you take your hand out a foot from your body and then you take it a foot backwards and you point, 
There is a hell world down there. It's 240 degrees around the compass. And so I named that world 240 down. If you're facing north and you put your arm halfway between north and east, at north-northeast, and you bring your hand down to 17 and a half degrees above the level plane, there's a hell world in that direction. So we describe dimensions as vectors, as directions. And in fact, that's what scientists describe uh, dimensions as, the uh, directions. Well, I must say that's not an approach I've heard before. Uh, we have our own view of the, the, the uh, multiple worlds or the, the multiverse, as we call it. But again, you know, who knows who's right? Um, let me quote on the hell issue here from something you wrote, Stuart. Uh, quote, you reach hell in trance or through an ayahuasca journey. Yeah. That, mean, that, that means drugs. A DMT-based well, drugs in a South American yeah, shamanic not, tradition. I mean, ayahuasca is not really a drug. It's, um, it contains a very small trace elements of DMT, but DMT in South America is considered a supplement because it's natural in the body. So That's it's true. not, let's say, like an opiate, like heroin or something like that, or, or marijuana or cocaine that are foreign to the body. DMT is actually inside the body in the pineal, and it is That's right. the active component of ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. So, no, no, I'm not criticizing. I'm just—I uh, th- think it's an interesting. No, no, but I'm just saying they don't consider it as a drug. They call it la medicina, the medicine. Actually, they do. That's correct. I've hung around with shamans in my time. Uh, ben is under under training with one, as a matter of fact. Uh, let me continue the quote. It, meaning hell, has a recognizable topography, meaning it's a real place, a dimension of existence. It has yeah. at least 960 levels, where Dante would uh, would boggle. Uh, the further you go down, the darker it gets. Towards the bottom, you have to have a special form of glasses to see, like night vision glasses in 3D. Now, all that's kind of a new one on me. Of course, maybe my training, hell has a certain, <clears throat> has certain theological baggage in, in, in Western culture. Uh, could you comment on this quote? It's, there's a, I think some of the listeners might have a little trouble with some of this. <clears throat> well, it's not to say that the theological definitions and so on are wrong. Not at all. In fact, I'm sure they're 100% right. But it, has, it does have a, to- a topography. That topography is fractal. So it's a lot of swirls and geometries. Let's say, for example, the readers, uh, the listeners would be um, familiar with the Mandelbrot set or the Julia set. And they understand what fractals look like. Mm. But they're essentially black swirls and the black geometries. And at the top of the hell world, there's actually quite a lot of light. It's not completely dark. And that world is a world of like black imps. Um, they're very bony creatures. And um, then as you get further down, you go into the hell world, you get into beings that look like digital fractal beings. So they're an upper body, like a head, let's say, with a crowd, and they might have a sword, but they don't have arms and legs, and they move very, very slowly. So they're the digital fractal ghouls. And then lower down, you get into uh, like reptilian ghouls that are close to the bottom of hell. And they can look like well, they can look like alligators or crocodiles, but a lot of times they can look like very large uh, reptilian blobs that have very thick skins or even dragons. And so the, there's a myriad of different beings in the hell world. And um, some of the hell world beings are UFOs and greys. Some of them look like they're made out of metal. And they're very sort of awkward looking, and I call those the clunkers. And they're a type of hell world being. And then there's others that look like skeletons with cobwebs. 
And there's like, I don't know, many, many thousands of different types of entities. They're not all human. Well, let, let me deal uh, just with that briefly because we're going to have a break coming up. But um, I am the last one to criticize anything like that because, first of all, in quantum physics, where I began to learn about multiversal ideas, there is no particular agreement on what this may mean. But I myself, from the paranormal trenches, as it were, over, as I say, the past four-plus decades, have encountered, and now Ben encounters uh, since he started working with me, many different kinds of life forms that people think are ghosts because they don't understand the multiverse. They wait out, what else could they? It must be dead people who've come back to haunt us. And sometimes you, you, you can make parallels there because they are human. But I've run into many non-human creatures, though fortunately I tend to be uh, come in contact with more positive parallel worlds, uh, so to speak. Uh, ben is more of the shamanic type, and he, he moves in other circles in the multiverse, so I can only speak for myself. Um, let, let's, um, let's get ready for our break, and then w let's digest some of this, and uh, we'll come back and continue our conversation with Stuart Wilde on the subject of hell, which he claims to uh, be quite knowledgeable about and to have visited a number of times. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. We'll be right back. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries.
Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we are having some very enlightening and strange, peculiar conversations with Stuart <laughs> Wilde about hell and other metaphysical things. Ben, did you, I was, did you have any questions on this? I was going to ask Stuart about how he arrived at the math that, that he says has to do with this, the directions and the vectors. Now, I must, before that, I must say that in certain cases, I've noticed that entities I, that I believe I'm dealing with have been in different locations, like up, up that are not relevant seemingly to where I am yeah, like in the sense of spatial. Geometry. Yeah, yeah. Sort of up by the ceiling. Or, you didn't get the reference, did you? What reference? Non-Euclidean geometry. Non-Euclidean geometry. Well, there really is no such thing. It's a love, that's a Lovecraft. I know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why I threw that in there. I was wondering when I read that. Anyway, Stuart, how did you arrive at the math here and, and the, the, the notion of the vectors? Well, let me backtrack slightly. Um, you get to these hell worlds through trance, and I've spent 4,500 hours observing those worlds. It's like 188 so, days. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, maybe it's just, I don't know, you're fast at mathematics. But, like, say, for example, if you see beings coming from north-northwest, and you see them coming hundreds of times, and they're always north-northwest, and somebody else that can observe the same beings with you at the same time is also seeing them coming from north-northwest, you then agree, like, hey, that's north-northwest. So, for example, the spirits of the dead, like ghosts, they're at north-northwest. And there's a heaven world that's at right angles, exactly right angles. So if you're north, the heaven world is east, and it's at 90 degrees from wherever you're facing. And it follows the transverse wave of light. Now, I don't want to boggle people with science, but light has a forward motion um, that moves at 300 kilometers a second, but it also has a zigzag sideways motion. And that zigzag sideways motion is known as the transverse wave. And so there is a, there is a, 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 a heaven to one's right, immediately to one's right. And so if you start to see, say, angels and that sort of stuff, and they're coming from 90 degrees, then, um, and you see them hundreds of times coming from 90, and others see them, you agree, okay, so that vector is at 90, and the spirits of dead are at north-northwest, and the, the, the hell world 70 degrees in the direction of north and northeast. And there's a heaven world at north-northeast that's 45 degrees up from the level plate. Interesting. And so it's, it's really just a subjective appraisal. You know, it's just saying, hey, it's here, you know? Mm-hmm. This is where we think it is. Well, one of the problems we always run into on this show, and we do try to keep it at a deep level, is, is, is simply the use of words. Uh, we were always saying that our language, or really any language that I'm aware of, is not really capable of, of discussing with the necessary depth concepts of this kind. And uh, this is no exception, certainly. The problem with the words heaven and hell, and we run into the same problem with the word fairies when that comes up, uh, is that they're relative terms. In other words, uh, I may not be a moral relativist, but I think, relatively speaking, people have their own perspectives. Uh, people and other denizens or neighbors in, in the parallel worlds that, that we are aware of. In other words, uh, for one species, a certain world may be hell, and for another, it might be heaven. 
you, you, you see what I'm getting at, or vice versa. You're talking about heaven worlds and hell worlds. Well, for, for our species, perhaps, but for other species, those might not be um, adequate uh, terms or, or accurate terms to describe their own feelings about the place. What say you? Well, I can say this, that when you observe the hell worlds and you first go down there, um, they make you vomit. Um, they are so ugly and so putrid that I don't know what species of human would not vomit. And in fact, the first, like, say, 100 hours of observation um, are, are tormented and truncated by nausea. Um, the, the level of your, your ability to withstand it is down to, like, literally two to three minutes. And then you start to throw up on yourself because they are so intensely ugly. Well, this and is then what after I'm, I'm a sorry, while, sorry. No, no. So go, just go to ahead. conclude that after a while, um, you become acclimatized, but it takes like a hundred hours before you do. And most people that see the hell worlds, um, or, or, or perhaps if they take a shamanistic journey and see them, the first thing that happens is they vomit. They start to throw up, and they may throw up twenty, thirty, forty times. Uh, one after the next, one after the next, over a period of half an hour, an hour, because they are so, so revolting. They're so disgusting. Well, I've heard of that happening with those not used to drinking ayahuasca. However, be that as it may, the you, what you describe is something that I think is extremely important and, and to our point of view, and that is the physical nature of many of these experiences. Now, obviously, throwing up, you can't throw up if you're a spirit and have a have no body to that, that can do the regurgitation. However... When you're in these realms, uh, there seem to be lots and lots of physical things, things, consequences, <laughs> a uh, great reactions. Great word to describe it. Physical things. Yes, uh, and, and this is what we run into. Uh, why? Are, well, one of the first questions I asked are why are ghosts, quote unquote, seen very often wearing clothes or driving cars? Or, or why do- is it when you want to like quote trap them, you throw like flour on the floor and then they walk through it or something? Yeah, and sometimes you actually see footprints. Yeah, it's like. Uh, like, What's that the about? Spirit walked through the flower and made tracks. Yeah, with shoes yet. Yeah, with so, shoes. So with I mean, shoes. these are these are what led us to believe that that most of these parallel worlds are are entirely physical. And you seem to to have had similar experiences. Uh, so you mentioned though spirits of the dead. We don't think that's common in the multiverse. Personally, myself, because the um, how can you have all your memories or how can you be you without your body so I believe well, somewhere that, someone I suppose yeah, yeah, somewhere someone it's, if we can conceive of it it must be, be there somewhere so well, um, how um, physical does this I get I can give you an answer for that if you like please okay in this uh, parallel dimension that's facing us is a sort of replica of the earth plane so if there's an Eiffel Tower here there's an Eiffel Tower in there if there's a Statue of Liberty here there's a Statue of Liberty in the mirror world and every single human on Earth has a doppelganger, a, a, a double. And I call that double the Aluna Mirror World Double, because I call that world Aluna, which means over the moon or, or mirror. So all the humans in the world have a double inside this multiverse, inside this parallel universe. And it is essentially the spirit of the human. So if you were facing uh, yourself in a mirror, and you raise your right arm, the mirror image raises its left arm because it's facing you. And there is a mirror personality of you, a copy of you in these mirror worlds. And that is what retains the perpetual memory of you after you die because the brain has no ability to, to, to remember you. So people see the Aluna mirror self of a dead spirit 
and they may be wearing clothes because that's how that person sees themselves as just in a three-piece suit or whatever they're dressed in. And um, there are as many um, lunar selves in the world as there are people. And so, so that's why they look like physical beings because they are physical beings. But the lunar mirror self is there. It's alive while the person is still alive on Earth. And that mirror double is inside that parallel world and it exists either in hell or in limbo in these gray middle worlds or it exists in a celestial heaven. And that is while the human is still alive. So humans don't die and go to heaven. Their body dies and their lunar mirror self is already in heaven. That's kind of close to what to what we, we believe. We, we think that there are many, many, well, our whole philosophy that we've built around this, you know, valid or not, is that we've got, and I don't want to get into dueling philosophies here, I want to talk to you, but just, just to uh, make the point that we believe that we live many parallel lives, um, which I think is often mistaken for a reincarnation scenario, but time doesn't exist that way, according to physics, and that um, they, uh, that's why we never, but it's, it's not, in a way, not that far from many of the things you say, Stuart, but be that as it may. So wait, wait, uh, wait, hold on a second. All right. So if this Aluna, uh, other universe or whatever, and that's the spirit of us, but everything's exactly the same over there, including their thoughts, feelings, whatever, and they think the same thing, wouldn't that make us the spirit of them? Yes, we are the spirit of them, exactly. We are them. Interesting. Except here on Earth, you don't see thoughts and feelings manifest because they're secret. You know, they're... they're they just appear inside the life force field, um, which is usually called the etheric. So it's in a person's life force field, but the average person can't see that. And, and so the thoughts and feelings of a human are secret. But in that lunar world, all the thoughts and feelings that a person has are seen as sort of hanging around them. So they affect the pattern around the lunar self. And that pattern is a geometric pattern of triangles and squirrels and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fractal pattern, um, and it'll either be very dark or it'll be very beautiful or it'll be somewhere in the middle. Hmm. So the thoughts and feelings in that world are manifest, and in the hell world, you see the thoughts and feelings um, of the spirits that are in the dead world, in the hell world, and they're usually predatory, um, I don't know, self-important, spiteful, um, ugly, jealous, you know, this sort of sentiments that um, that we would consider adverse sentiments here on Earth. Because they separate people from other people. Yeah, they, because they, they stand alone. Special. It's a sort of type of specialness. Interesting. And, um, and they... Well, let me give you an example, okay? The, the ghouls in the hell worlds fire pain at humans, and they fire it, and we see it as a black skewer. It's about a foot long. And it can go, let's say, through your leg, and you suddenly have stabbing sensation in your leg, in the muscles of your leg. So most of the pain that the humans suffer on Earth is fired from the demonic. It's not actually human pain. Now, if you have an accident and you break your leg, okay, that's normal pain. But most pain has got nothing to do with the medical, with the medical system or your physical body. It's fired from these inside worlds because of the hatred that they have for humans, because the spirit hasn't been recognized or uplifted or made special and so they attack so most pain in the world comes from these inner worlds and the inner worlds are 18 inches away from the body that sounds like Murray Silver we had a guest several weeks ago 
sort of was saying, not the same, but, but rather similar. Uh, <clears throat> well, I don't know about that. Uh, our position is that this particular world in which we are currently conscious is not uh, anything special and that we're equally conscious in all these other worlds in which we exist and that it all goes together to form what we are. But nevertheless, let's go back to hell. Well, let me put it the, another let's way. Let's go to hell, everybody. Let, 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 let me rephrase that. Hell. Let's continue our conversation about hell. Uh, Dan, did you have a question here? Um, uh, did I? Do yes. I? I guess I do. Uh, so, Stuart, you have spent over 4,000 hours in the hell worlds. Uh, so... You actually, you quote said this that you spent like four thousand five hundred hours in the hell world. So I consider myself an expert. Uh, first of all, assuming this is all true, why did you visit hell of all places? Why hell? <laughs> well, I just found myself going there, and I'd close my eyes and I'd see the hell world six seconds after I closed my eyes. And then in two thousand and seven, um, I saw my hands in that alternative world. And there were cactus thorns on both my hands. And it was very beautiful and very interesting to look at. And I thought, well, what are these for? And I heard point and shoot. And so I would see a, a hell world being in the distance in the gloom. And I would fire the cactus thorn at the being with a puff of breath, like a sort of force of will kind of thing. And the cactus thorn would fly off my finger. In fact, it flew off as a little purple dot and the purple dot would fly in a curved trajectory because those oh, I'm afraid to have to stop you Stuart we have a break I apologize uh, okay. anyway you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio and our guest Stuart Weil will be right back CBS Radio The Sky and NewSkyRadio.com are presented only for entertainment purposes and no guarantee is made for the accuracy or suitability of any advice or other information offered
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and this is Paul right next to me. And Hello. on with us, we have uh, Stuart Wilde. And I asked him a very, very uh, simple but very important question. Why go to hell? So, Chris, please. Uh, Chris, Chris, Stuart, Chris, Stuart, are talking. Stuart uh, please continue. <laughs> yeah, please reiterate and continue. Well, as I was explaining, um, in the late 2006, early 2007, I was in trance and I saw these cactus thorns on my hands and I asked what are these for and I heard point and shoot and so I would fire the cactus thorns off the end of my fingers and it would leave as a little tiny purple dot a fractal code and the code would travel in a curved trajectory and it would hit a ghoul in the gloom in the distance which I could see I mean thousands of them tens of thousands of them are out in the distance and so when the cactus thorn hit the ghoul the ghoul would shudder and degrade and so I started firing, and I began fighting in these hell worlds for sort of six hours a day. And I did it every day for years on end. And essentially what I was doing was I was degrading the ghouls. Well, when you degrade the ghouls, let's say, for example, there's like 10,000 ghouls around an African village. If you go in there and you kill those 10,000 ghouls, the villagers feel more alive. They could see more visions. They experience less pain. Their body heals and so forth. And so I found it useful. And then I trained other guys that could also see the hell worlds. There weren't many of us. There was only eight of us in total. And so we called ourselves the Lunar Fighters, which is kind of a quirky title. But we would all go into trance and, and fight these, these ghouls in the hell worlds. And sometimes we'd fight together. So um, we would sit together and back to back on the floor and we would fight the ghouls, but we could all see the exact same ghouls. You know, we could see them coming towards us. And so I made it a dedication to go and, and rub out as many of these ghouls as I physically could with this point-and-shoot mechanism. And that's what I did because it felt to me like it was helping the world to reduce the demonic influence that torments humans, which is so close, and it torments them and creates pain and disease and disquiet and... It also creates a terrible sense of, uh, of bleakness. If a sort of black wave comes over you from the demonic world, you feel very, very bleak. Now, I hear you, Stuart, but many of our listeners may be sitting out there saying, well, see, this guy may be sincere, but he just had an uh, a, a ayahuasca-induced experience and it wasn't real. It was purely a, a psychological experience. How would you answer that? Well... I've done 207 ayahuasca journeys, but they were only a very, very small part of the hell world fight because most of all of it was in trance, just laying on a bed or laying on a sofa. So, I mean, I was completely 100% awake. Obviously, your brain is oscillating at a very quiet uh, rhythm, you know, two to four cycles a second. Mm -hmm. But you're entering into these worlds in trance, whether the trance is induced by an ayahuasca ceremony or induced just because you've allowed yourself to drop down in a meditative state. So I would say maybe 15% of my experiences were on ayahuasca and 85% of them weren't. Um, why don't we 
Get but, into this a little bit. Alrighty, alrighty. Alright, so uh, in our work, uh, we run into different species of what we call uh, parasites uh, that feed on negative energy. And have you run into any something or something to that effect? Yes, yes. All the ghouls are parasites. I mean, they feed off heat. You see, one of the sort of misnomers of the, of the hell worlds or the misunderstandings is that people think hell is hot, like flames, but in fact it's very cold and very bleak and austere. Mm. And the ghouls that are in hell in hell seek heat, so they seek humans to feed off. So they feed off all sorts of human activity, you know, hatred, pornography, you know, deviant sexual practices, but they, they look for heat. And they're attracted to heat, and that's why they come towards the light. Humans have a lot of light, a lot of celestial light, and they have a lot of God inside of themselves. And when they radiate that light, the ghouls come towards that light. I was going to ask you if God came into this at any point here. Well, in those inner worlds, God is not a person, it's a light. And it's a light that has a lot of information. So I describe um, in Grace Guy in the End of Days, I say that grace is, is information. In other words, a lack of information is a lack of grace. And the information that's coming through from those worlds is corrupted by the ghouls and changed. So they'll flip a six to a nine or a do to a don't. So they're perpetually trying to keep the world ignorant. And the light is perpetually firing through to humans, through intuitions and their dreams and so forth, what the truth really is. So there's a battle of information in there. That sounds interesting, too. Uh, yeah, the truth a, will set you free. Yeah, you're right. In our, in our work, or at least in my work, uh, particularly over the years, I've run into what I believe are about nine different species of parasites, ranging from those who are very wise, and, 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 and not necessarily in a positive sense, all the way down to uh, very two-dimensional thinkers who act like, like children, uh, does that have any parallel in any of these, these, what you say, your ghouls and things that you've run into? Yeah, the ghouls, there's tens of thousands of ghouls. So I don't know if you described one of the parasites. I might tell you if I've seen them or not. But all of the ghouls are parasites because yeah. they feed off human energy. They feed mm, exactly. off our light. They feed off our heat. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is often... And one of the odd things is that uh, while there is... Well, much has been made of the idea that these things will suck up the heat in a room when they are in our world or partially in our world and yeah, that's you why know you when get people this cold. say they, they they see ghosts and the room goes really cold yes it's because the ghosts are cold you know they're very freezing cold well and, i uh, i have not really run into i only once do i have a really clear memory and that was back in 70 good lord 75 or 76 when I was investigating a house in Connecticut, and I went into a room, I followed the thing into a room, and the room got really cold, and it disappeared. Yeah. And but usually I don't run into that. And people say, "Well, well I, I don't know. It just maybe I'm not as hot as I should be. I don't know." But uh, but I, I do uh, I, I do hear what you're saying. Um, now now this does kind of get even weirder, Stuart. Um, and if you're if we're not at the point of straining credibility yet, this might do it. You claim to have seen people like Michael Jackson and Rita Hayworth in hell. Rita Hayworth being an American actress of the 40s and 50s, in case people are younger than you and I. So, well, well, how, how do you you actually run into people who might be known? Yeah, in the hell world, there are humans that have sort of not been there very long. Because any of the humans that have been in hell over a period of decades and so forth, um, as I said before, the first thing happens is they lose their arms and legs and they just become an upper bo body, like a blob. 
and they move very, very slowly. But there are humans in the hell world that are completely functional, that have all their limbs and their arms, and you can just see them in there. And I've seen Michael Jackson in the hell world three times, and I've seen Rita Hayworth, and I've seen various polit politicians that have passed over that are in the hell world. Well, I can think of a number of so, politicians. Yeah, and so they're just there. They're just, you know, you can see that they're in hell, you know? Well, and, let, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, there's nothing else to say about it other than yeah. you observe them in that dimension. One of the things that we always say about the paranormal, and at least this has been my experience at least, is that little, very little, is what it actually appears to be. Uh, many of these parasites will, <clears throat> in order to eat, will pretend to be a loved one or will pretend to be something benign. There, are, there seem to be things that are almost archetypal with, with these things in these cases. The man in the checkered shirt people yeah. see or the little girl with flowers in her hair. You know, what, yeah. what could be less threatening than that? And, and I, uh, the, um, the red flags go up with me when I hear about that. What say you about this? Uh, how do you know these people were really who they look like to you? No, they may not be. You just observe it and you say, well, there's Michael Jackson. They may not be Michael Jackson. But the point is, the ghouls can morph into anything. So, for yes. example, the solid UFO myth has sort of been put out by the American government. But the UFOs are, are hell world beings. And, um, and the greys that are inside the UFOs are manufactured. They're, they're like drones. They don't have a mind of their own. They only have a collective mind. Mm -hmm. And in the hell world, there are vast, vast mechanical cities massive. I mean, it's like flying over LA, LA and, and multiplied by 10 times. I mean, vast. And in those mechanical cities, the ghouls, like, manufacture a pulse that they fire at Earth. It looks like black mist or black fog. And they manufacture drones like the greys. And one day, I was in my office in London near Camden Hill Road, and uh, I had a room at the back of the office that I sometimes in the afternoon would meditate. Um, on a bed, on a sort of, you know, lounge bed that was there, and uh, I was meditating, and I saw a grey in the room about three metres, four metres from my bed, and I went through its eye with the force of my will. I sort of fired myself through the grey's eye, and behind the grey are the reptiles. And then when I came outside the office about 20 minutes later, there was a UFO about 25 30 feet across, just hovering above the office, maybe at two or 300 feet above the office. So the UFOs are hell world beings, and they can communicate with humanity, and they're particularly inside the minds of politicians and leaders and controllers. And that I can the believe. UFOs, they, they just morph. You know, essentially, you've got to think of a UFO as a dragon that can fly, like a flying reptile with claws that can morph and become a spaceship or a triangle or a flying oil barrel or a walking stick, but most UFOs are like blobs. Um, in any clear patch of, of sky above your head, there's 200 you can't see. Well, uh, on that cheerful uh, note, we're going to have to take another break. Uh, oh, no. We'll be, okay. Yeah, we'll be right back with Stuart uh, Wild on, on our very interesting show this evening. You're listening to CBS Radio's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on New Sky Radio. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries.
Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New skyradio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. This is the final segment of the show. This is actually probably, this, this is a great show so far. I'm, I'm having fun with it. And you're hard to impress. I am very hard to impress. So, Stuart, we were uh, just talking about the uh, beings that live in hell and all sorts of other fun things like that. Yeah, so UFO please, relationship special. Indeed. Yeah. So please continue. Yeah. Well, the UFOs are non-solid beings, and you have to think of a reptile um, with, uh, with sharp teeth and claws that can fly. But they can also morph. They can morph into lots of different shapes. And as I said before, in every, any patch of clear blue sky over your head, there's 200 the most common shape for the UFOs is like a brown, brown blob. So they're like a flying blob of excrement. But then they can move from that blob shape into a flying oil barrel, a, a, a walking stick. They can move into the classic saucer shape, the triangular shape. They can become a flying chocolate cake. Whatever they want to do, they can morph and they can change. So they can con people into thinking 
that they're one, solid, and B, technological. But they do have a massive force in this world because they can talk to the human mind without the human realizing that it's a foreign influence that's speaking to them. And so that's how they exert power. They're particularly inside the minds of leaders. And they're very, very prevalent, very prevalent indeed. And um, in 2001, I was given a set of bangles. They just appeared on my, on my arms, and they were about two inches across. And they shone with this extraordinary celestial light. And when I dropped my hands by my knees, I could feel the bangles kind of go clunk, clunk, and they would load. And then I would flick a bangle off my left wrist. The right bangle never moved, only the left bangle. And it would fly in a curved trajectory like the cactus thorn and it would hit the blobs in the sky and they would shudder and fall. And so for a few weeks, maybe five, six, seven weeks, I spent my time just firing these bangles at them. But they are devil beings and they deal with misinformation and corruption and they deal with degradation. So I saw a UFO the size of a blimp, you know, like the Goodyear blimp, mm. and it was over a playground. And they're looking to create like sex slaves for later. You know, they, their whole thing is human degradation because in that degradation they get heat, and that's why they're doing it. Well, pretty wild, no pun intended. Stuart, before we go any further, we're almost over here. Could you tell us about your website, about your books, and uh, where people can find out more about you? Yeah, I write a daily blog at stuartwild.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T-W-I-L-D-E. And I do a bit of paranormal. I do a bit of metaphysics. I sometimes run stories on, you know, I don't know, the health benefits of elderberry syrup and so forth. <laughs> and I do conspiracy stuff as well. So it's, a, it's an eclectic mix of sort of metaphysics, conspiracy, conspiracy spiritual growth. Um, and I've been writing it every day for 15 years, and it's free. I have seen it. Dark. It's very interesting. I have seen it. Yes. Yes. But I must say that as, as, as bizarre as much of this sounds, um, and and as as it might stretch credibility in many ways, but it's all material we've heard that's come across our desk for years from various sources, although never really in one place like this. The, the notion of UFOs and and the Greys being uh, negative beings, really, the relationship between them as, as parasites that's that's all come up. Look at this yeah, case. It's in... very parasitic. But you know, I should speak for at least one minute about the heaven world. Sure, please. Along with <laughs> the hell nice. world. Yeah, after all. Yeah, this. there's a heaven world, let's say, at 90. So if you're facing north, it's east. And inside those heaven worlds is this golden light. And again, it's a fractal light. It's, it's all geometries and it's swirling and moving. And it's attempting to fold over the top of the hell worlds. It's attempting to destroy the demonic by folding over the top of it. And inside those, those, those heaven worlds are beings, and they stand 60 feet high. I mean, they're absolutely gobsmackingly beautiful. And they are part of the celestial. So they are humans that maybe were on the earth 10, 20,000 years ago that evolved into gods, into a type of god because of their sheer beauty. So the celestial is firing good information, and it's firing benevolence and, and compassion and healing at humans. And it is attempting to destroy the dark by folding over the top of it. It doesn't really fight with the dark, per se, although some of the gods do fight. But it more operates as a sort of wave, and it goes over the top of the dark and swamps it. Do we... Uh, well, I, I'm thinking, of course, of the theological approach to this. Uh, how do people 
I, I, I don't even know how to phrase this question. We believe that people, or I believe that people make their own beds, so to speak, and and that the where they, whatever world they end up in uh, after this body wears out, or as they translate, as we we call it. There's some amount of choice in there. Yeah, there's some amount of choice in there. <laughs> what say you? Yeah, no, it's completely choice. None of it's arbitrary and can't be very, very precise. But to wind up in the hell world, you have to have specialness, spite, jealousy, um, degradation, you know, all the sort of human um, feelings and sentiments that are untowards. And then to go to the heaven world, you have to have warmth, generosity. I talk a lot in my book about the three graces, which I um, list as um, generosity, tenderness, and respect. And generosity is a generosity of spirit, you know, being kind and warm to people, respect is respecting all people, even the evil ones. And um, tenderness is a softness towards humanity, to turn a soft eye towards them rather than a critical, vindictive, violent eye. And so if, if one embraces the three graces and if one attempts to sort of process one's shadow and look at one's sort of failings and so forth, you know, you'll gradually wind up in the heaven worlds. It's bound to happen. You know, it's not like you're condemned to the hells. And then people that choose the other side of things, where they're violent or vindictive or special or important or whatever else the, the traits they have, they wind up naturally in hell, yeah. Very interesting. But it is a choice. There's no, there's nothing, it's, it's not an accident, you know. You can't get to hell by accident. You have to have worked at it all your life. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. It's funny, in, in the seminary, there was very little said about all this. However, what, what I did pick up was that, that it's not all that easy to condemn yourself to... to to hell. You, as you say, you really have to work at it. So that's you do very have to work at it. And of course, the God force and the light and the golden beings that are in the heaven world, mm-hmm. they're endlessly compassionate and they're endlessly forgiving. So a person could have had, you know, a period of their life where they were particularly rotten, but if they saw the errors of their ways, they're forgiven. But to, to achieve that forgiveness or to achieve that absolution, you have to have a sense of remorse, you know, you have to have like a, what they call in Catholicism an act of contrition, sure. where you, you know, like, I, I tell people to do the forgiveness prayer, and essentially, you get on your knees, on the ground, with your nose on the ground, every day for 30 days, and you beg forgiveness for your, for the stuff that you've done wrong, you know, the trends, you know, where you've, well, I call it proclivities, you know, where you've gone wrong in this lifetime. I'm afraid and I have you, to stop you, Stuart. We're flat out of time. But well, thank that's you the 30-day so protection prayer. But doing that, you get your absolution in the end because it shows you have remorse. Very good. Well, I, thank you so much for this very interesting show, and we're definitely going to have you back. And uh, thank you, sir. go to bed. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I will, yeah. Good night to you all, yeah? Okay, good night. Thank you. Yeah, God bless. Okay, everyone. Uh, NewEnglandGhost.com and BehindTheParanormal.com. The, 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 Oh no, no, we're still here. We're oh, still, are we here. still, we're still okay. here. Okay, okay sorry, yes. sorry. All right. Yes. Okay. Anyway, many thanks to our producer. Many, many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and we will see you uh, right here uh, May 5th when Dr. Stephen Jacobi. Jacoboni. Jacoboni. Whatever. Uh, a cancer specialist who actually dares to talk about his terminal patients or to, uh, talk to his terminally ill patients about an afterlife. Well, in the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time show on WON 1240 AM and on com, 6 p.m. every Monday. And we're just about done. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.